Good morning. Check, check. Oh, all right. You're also much closer today. I feel like, but I don't have I don't have anywhere to go, so we'll just have to deal with it. Thank you, Jesus. Um, good morning. Where's Oh, Eddie? Are you ready? Do you want me to wait for you a little bit? You're good. Okay. All right. We're going to start today in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. I'm going to grab that. Okay. Thank you, Jesus. Shaka Baba. Second Corinthians chapter three, um, and then if you could, why don't you also grab Luke chapter nine? I think we're going to read a little bit out of that in a moment. Uh, I almost missed my flight last week, so I got myself a new toy. <laughs> make sure, uh, make sure that doesn't happen again. Not, not that I need to make it to Boston service, but um, <laughs> anyways. <laughs> um, good. You ready? All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you, God, for um, who you are and for who you've created us to be and all the things that you're doing in our midst. And in this moment, God, we just want to turn our attention, our affection towards you. And ask, God, that you would come into this room and that you would touch us and speak to us and to make us more like you. Father, you know that we don't come before you because we want to offer you our opinions because we think that we're so awesome and uh, you need us. We know that you don't. But we're really grateful, God, to be your people. And we're really grateful, God, to spend this time together we're really grateful, God, to have the opportunity to seek you, and we're really grateful, God, for everything that you're doing in this place. And as we're here, Lord, I just pray that you would really take over, and that you would just put your hands upon us, and you would really touch us and flow through this place and make us like you love and honor you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. First thing, we have um, ladies retreat coming up next week. So, if you're a lady and uh, and you haven't decided to come to that, today's today's the day of salvation. All right, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding, but it's gonna be fun. Yeah, but it could be. Yeah, you're right. It could be. 
Second Corinthians chapter three. I want to. Um, uh, I just. I feel like the Lord really has been speaking out of um, this, and so let me see where we want to start here. Let's just start from the beginning. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are letters of recommendation written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. That's what Paul's about to talk about. Uh, he's about to talk about the fact that the substance of um, what it is that, that he's pushing for, the new covenant uh, and the gospel, is not something that's written, um, here he says on tablets, um, but uh, not written on paper. It's not the words on the page, um, but it's, it's the work of the Spirit of God on a human heart. Yeah? For such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God who made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant. So anytime you don't feel sufficient, you just say to yourself, my sufficiency does not come from me. It comes from God who made you sufficient. Not of the letter, but of the spirit, for the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Now, if the ministry of death carved in letters of stone came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. I'm just going to read um, sort of the rest of this, and then we'll come back and talk about it. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, this that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now, the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And we all with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the spirit. Okay, all right, let me stop there and uh, try to do this. This is, this is like, it's like a lot. So it's, 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 just, it's just like a lot. <laughs> but, um, but okay, let's start from the beginning. Paul's argument is that the thing that he's um, preaching, the covenant that he's giving is, is, is filled with glory, right? And it's more glorious than the covenant that Moses had. Um, he's, he's arguing that, um, that the reason that it's more, well, one of the reasons that it's more glorious is because it's, it's something that exists. It's a, it's a spiritual matter that exists in human hearts. It's not, it's not um, text. It's not words that, that's, um, you know, that are written on a page. And then he, um, he recounts the story of uh, Exodus chapter, I think it's 34. Um, I should have confirmed before I got up here. Um, where Moses, um, uh, whenever Moses meets with God, um, the Lord comes to him in such a way that, that, 
that I mean the counter is so strong that his face is just it's shining and it's it's not shining in the way that you know somebody got new face cream shining it's you know it's 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 shining and th- there's an interesting um, Paul's explaining this right in the context of, of what it says in those verses but there's an interesting note there that says that like when Moses' face was shining he would he would cover it up and he covered up until the next time that he went into the um, into the meeting place where he met with God and then his face would start to shine again and Paul's now interpreting this and he's interpreting this in such a way um, that it is what he's saying he's saying that Moses um, did not want the Israelites to look upon a glory that was fading. In other words, it's not that Moses was ashamed of the fact that his face when he met with God would glow and then it would stop glowing until he went back into the, you know, back to that place. But, but that's what would happen is that like, is that he would go in and, and his face would glow and then after a while it would, it would wear off and it would, it would, it would stop glowing. And, and because Paul, Paul didn't want them to see that, that where it stopped glowing, because that was a sign that, that what God had done through Moses was, was temporary. Do you see? Because it wouldn't stay glowing. And in order for the Israelites to not see it, Moses would put a veil over his face so they wouldn't see it. They wouldn't see that thing happen where the glory would fade until Moses would go back into, um, would, go, would go back into to the meeting place with God. Now Paul's argument is this. If we all know that, that the thing that God gave Moses, the covenant that God made with Moses, uh, the, the, of the ministry of condemnation, as he calls it, was fading away, and, and if God's, but, but it's real, you know, like it's temporary, but it's still real, it's still valuable. And, and you know that because when it came, it came with God's glory attached to it. Like this is not something that a man cooked up. There's real spiritual value and real godly value to this. But nevertheless, it, it was not permanent. And, and here is kind of like a contradiction, right? The fact that like God can do something, but it's of limited value. It's not of infinite value. You have to think about that because God is nuanced enough to be able to create things of greater value and things of lesser value. And he's nuanced enough to be able to create things that are permanent and things that are temporary. And he's nuanced enough to do things in certain seasons that are only supposed to last in those seasons. Does that make, okay, we're all on the same picture. And just because something is, is of a season or something is temporary does not mean that it's not God. And that's what Paul's saying. He says, even though that was temporary, it still came with glory. Like when it came, the glory of God was still there, right? But if that thing that was temporary had glory, how much more will that, will what is permanent, which is what you have now, how much more will that have glory? A lot more, right? He says, okay, but here's the problem, okay? So that's, that's kind of the setup, right? And then he describes the problem. And this is, it's, it's a very interesting problem. I'm very glad that Paul put it in the Bible because, yay. 12. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the Israelites may not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the old covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over the hearts, but when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed that the very thing that God did in the generation of Moses that brought revelation to them, that brought life to them, that gave them structure for their relationship with God for 1,600 years or whatever, the very thing that God did 
has now, because it's now old, has now become the, the very thing that keeps them from seeing what God is doing now. And that's a very interesting thing. For to this day, when, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. The more they read Moses and the more they believe in him, the less able they are to step into what God is doing now. This is not a condemnation of the Jews. Like, we're, we're about to get, like, it, it's not about them. But you, but, but, but you have to understand what Paul is saying, and Paul, Paul's one of them. Like, clearly, he's, he's talking, he's speaking out of experience here. It's not, this, is, this is not, oh, those bad people. No, he's speaking out of experience. Think about what he's saying. All right. It's, it's their focus and their belief and their faith and their confidence, their steadfastness, their unyielding, likeness towards what Moses gave them that makes them blind as to what God is doing now. And every time they go back and they rehearse the old covenant, it continues to keep their eyes shut. Not idolatry, not paganism, not atheism, not math. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not math. It ain't science, friends. <laughs> it's not the problem. It's not the, that's, that's, that's not the problem. The problem is what God gave them yesterday. And the longer they reinforce the old covenant, why is called, Paul call it old? Because it's old. <laughs> the longer and the harder and the more steadfastly they, they, they place their confidence in the old covenant, the more the veil comes over their eyes. 15, yes. Why do you say yes? Because it's a hard thing to believe. Yes. To this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. That's a very difficult thing to accept if you've placed your faith in your ability to know what God wants. Do you know? If, if your confidence is in what you know, what you believe God has given to you, this is a very difficult thing to accept because we're saying that the more confident you are in that, the more, the more you have a veil over your faith. But, 16, this is the operative verse here. But when one turns to the Lord. The veil is removed. Now the Lord is spirit. So the reason he's saying this is because Paul wants you to know what does it mean to turn to the Lord? It doesn't mean open your Bible. This is not, you understand. We love our Bibles. Okay, so it's not that. But, he, but, but when people say that, like when, when Paul says, whenever you turn to the Lord, the veil is removed, right? But, he's saying, but now I have to tell you what it means to turn to the Lord. I'm not saying like find a verse to justify yourself. And he said, now the Lord is spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. In other words, Paul's saying, you have to turn your heart 
not from like one doctrine to another doctrine, one, not from one commentary to another commentary, although there are great commentaries. I'm going to talk to you about commentaries in a moment. Look at commentaries. It's not that. The, 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 the issue is that the, what it means to turn to the Lord is not like find a verse to defend yourself. It, it means in the spirit. He's a spirit. and he, he, what, he's, You have to turn your heart and your, your, your spirit has to be turned towards his spirit to engage. Esther and I were talking this week about how we feel like we're, we're in this season of learning to discern spirits, which is, um, yes, yeah, interesting, interesting. Yeah, I know, you're like, me too, good. We're all in it together then, yeah. The, the learning to discern spirits, first of all, hard. Y'all, it ain't obvious sometimes. But second of all, dangerous. Let's say that I go to you one day and I say, you want know let's let's reverse this because it's more likely. Well, well, let's say that you come to me one day and you'd be like, "Brother Daniel, I think you have a bad spirit today." What am I supposed to do about that? What am I supposed to do about that? And I'd be like, "No, I don't." And here's the proof. There's no proof. Like you know, this is like it. It, it like there's no. What am I supposed to do about that? At the beginning of our ministry. Um, Oh, this is well. This this is this is fun now. It wasn't fun then. So you know when people were trying to get us off campuses, they would say that that I personally personally had the spirit of Jezebel. I don't know what that means, but it was persuasive enough that most students believe. They were like, "Oh my God, he has the spirit of Jezebel." How does one defend themselves against this sort of thing? You know. What am I supposed to say? I don't have the spirit of Jezebel. Or like, how do you know I have the spirit of Jezebel? God told me. Like, you know, it's really hard. And because of dynamics of that sort, I, I, it, it, I take it really seriously that, that you do this with a great deal of humility. And you also do this with a great deal of open-mindedness. And you also do this with a great deal of like really, really, really making sure that you have it right. Because if you do... Thank you. <laughs> you don't do this right. Like it's 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 uh, it can be bad. But 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 understanding the significance of it is is very diff- is is very important. What unites us is not that we are alike. It's not that we, our preferences are the same. It's not that our gifting is the same. It's because we are the same spirit. That's what brings unity to a group of people. It's that your spirit is the same. So that's why in. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I think, right? Paul says that there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And to one, he gives the utterance of the word of wisdom by the one spirit. To another, he gives works of whatever, miracles by the same spirit. Like, it, it, like every time Paul names the gifts, he says, but of the same spirit, but of the same spirit, but of the same spirit, but of the one spirit, but of that spirit. But of the, and the, his point is that like, we can be all different. God can give us different things and put us in different places and give us different callings. But what makes us believers, what makes us Christians, what, what brings us together as a church and what brings us together globally as a church is that we are of one spirit. There's only one. And the most important thing you can discern is whether you're of that spirit or a different spirit. There's only one. Do you know? It's not the spirit of alabaster that you're a part of. Thank God. <laughs> it's not. It's, it's, there's one spirit. There's one spirit and there's one spirit. And you can meet somebody for the very first time, know nothing about them, you know, but, but connect nevertheless intimately with the spirit that they have. 
if you were of the same spirit. And that's actually, can be challenging. I mean, I already told you to go to Luke chapter 9, right? Let's just read this. This is, I, I, I really, I enjoy this story because it's so easy to put yourself in the, in the shoes of, well, let's do this. Starting in verse 51, Luke 9, 51. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. He sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the uh, Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set towards Jerusalem. And that's a, that's a different teaching, different day. But when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them. And the ESV has put the next part of this in, uh, into a footnote because they're not confident that it was part of the original text. But if you grew up reading an older translation of the Bible, there, there's a quote there that Jesus says next. He says, sorry, what is it? he says, um, uh, but he turned and rebuked them. And he said to them, you do not know what manner of spirit you are of. And he went on to another village. He this is the rebuke to James and John. You do not know the spirit that you're of. Why is this interesting? There are some people that, I've heard teachings on this passage. There are some people that will say um, that, uh, you know, we don't call down fire anymore. God doesn't judge anyone. Um, and so they just got it wrong. You know, they were reading the Old Testament. They got it wrong. No. Matthew chapter 10, you remember Matthew chapter 10 when Jesus sends his disciples out? And he says, if any place does not receive you, he's talking about going from village to village, if any place does not receive you, what do you do? Shake the feet, the dust from the village off your feet as you leave. And then he says, for on the day of judgment, it will be more bearable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that village. Okay. If any place does not receive you, you shake the dust of that village off of your feet off of your foot as a testimony against them because on the day of judgment it will be more bearable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for the others. Did you just say this? you remember reading this in your Bible? I know, me too. So in this story now, think about that. In the context of this, of this story, Jesus has sent his disciples into a village. The village has rejected them. What is it that he taught them to do? To testify against them. Because, why? It will be worse for that village than for Sodom and Gomorrah. This is not Old Testament. This is New Testament. It will be worse on the day of judgment for that village than for Sodom and Gomorrah. Right? Hello? Okay. What happened to Sodom and Gomorrah? Fire came down out of heaven to judge them. Correct? Okay. Who gave them the idea of fire coming down out of heaven to judge a village and to consume it and to destroy it? Who gave them that idea? Who seeded it into their minds? Like, you know, when somebody rejects you, just think. One day they'll be like, Sodom and Gomorrah. Actually, it'll be worse. Like, who gave them that idea? He did. All right. So when they come and when they face the rejection, and James and John are like the most eager of the, do you remember Jesus called them th sons of thunder? So they're the most, they're just eager. And they're I mean, they're ready to obey. Like, they're ready to like, you agree, God. Let it be worse when they rejected us. Let it be worse. All right. And so they're Lord. And, and, and do you see, like, I actually think that they're quite, I actually think their heart's in a good place, personally. So because, you know, they're not being, like, brash about it. They're like, Lord? You know, they're, they're being deferential. Lord, do you want us to, 
call down, you like you know like Lord, would would you like us to 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 call down fire now? Because you know that that's that's what the teaching was. That's what was supposed to happen. Do you want us to call down fire from heaven to consume them? And then Jesus rebuked them, and he didn't rebuke them because their doctrine was wrong. He rebuked them because their spirit was wrong. I'm going to go ahead and suggest to you that the doctrine was not wrong, but their spirit was still wrong. And knowing exactly the right thing to do, and you could argue being faithful to what it is that Jesus told them would happen, they still managed to be in the wrong spirit. And it speaks to not how terrible James and John were. It speaks to how difficult it is to stay in the right spirit and to stay in his spirit. And so we're like, well, that's what you have to pray. They were with Jesus 24-7, y'all. They slept with him, ate with him. Like, you, you understand? Like, like you're like, going to be close to God. They were like, they were close to God. Like, they were not. They're not backsliding Christians. And even in that place, you can be of the wrong spirit. Being of the wrong spirit, having a, a, what Paul calls in this story, a veil, uh, not story, in this, in this chapter, a veil over your heart, is not something that's relegated to the Jews. It's something that we experience all the time. It's all the time. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed, 16. That's like the best, this is the most extraordinary verse in this chapter. When one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. But when one turns to the Lord, but when one turns to the Lord, but when one turns to the Lord. In other words, when you, you there, there's a certain row that you're on, yeah? And when you turn, you get off of the row that you're on. When in your heart and in your life, in your mind, you get off of the road that you're on when, and you turn towards God. You can see. And if you don't, then you can't. And there's no Bible verse I'm going to use against you. There's nothing for, there's no argument that can be made because it's not about the fact that you don't believe the right things. It's not about the fact that what you have is not of God. It is of God. It's not that you're in idolatry. It's not any of that stuff, but you're in the wrong spirit. Or I'm in the wrong spirit. It happens to me all the time. Seventeen. Now the Lord is the spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. What is a sign that you are in God's spirit, that you're free. And we'll talk about that in a moment. The spirit is the essence of, of who you are. More important than uh, signing a membership form, more important than um, giving offerings, more important than anything else. What unites people, what brings them together is that you're the same spirit. That's the goal in this church. It's not that we would all be the same, but that we would all be of the same spirit. Being of the same spirit is so very important because you can have the same office, but not have the same spirit. Um, you remember in Second Kings, I think it's chapter two, where Elisha, Elijah was about to go, be taken up into heaven, yeah? So the, I mean, you know, Elijah knew how to say goodbye. 
like, you know, he was the original guy that taught them how to say goodbye. But anyways, Hamilton reference. Um, uh, and so he asked Elijah, what do you want? Okay, you, you remember this, right? And Elijah said, okay, when I was young, when I was, when I was in Sunday school, I was taught that Elisha got double Elijah's power. And anointing. And if you sit in a charismatic church long enough, they'll tell you that, you know, he got double his anointing. But that's not what he asked for. He asked, said, let me have a double portion of your, of your spirit. He wasn't asking for his power. He was asking for that thing that made Elijah Elijah. He was, he was not asking to work twice as many miracles, did he? Probably. He's not asking to raise twice as many people from the dead, did he? Probably. He's not asking to be twice the prophet he was. Did, was he? Maybe, but he wasn't asking for that. He was, he was asking to be of the same spirit that Elijah was, except to have twice as much of it as Elijah had. And that's why Elisha was a more successful, more impactful prophet than Elijah was. But on the same track, leading people in the same direction. On the other hand, you have, for instance, Solomon, who got his father's throne, but didn't get his father's spirit. He was wiser than David, more competent militarily than David, more competent diplomatically than David, wealthier than David, but he didn't have David's spirit. And the difference, you just, <laughs> that's the entirety of the difference. Like, who cares if you have a bigger kingdom? Who cares if, it, it doesn't matter. The, the, the point is that the, the thing that was of value is the thing that is that spirit that's in the man. And, like, does that make any sense? Like, Solomon was David's heir, but he didn't have the same spirit. And, uh, I mean, and of course, obviously, you read the Old Testament, all of his heirs and all the kings of Judah, and some of them were like, okay. <laughs> some of them were like, oh, no. <laughs> you know, until, David, uh, until, until Jesus comes along, obviously. But that's, that's the thing that was missing from David's line, is that they, they had the genetic, they, had the, they didn't have the spirit. And, and that's the point here, right? Is that like the, 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 what we have that's different from the Jews is not a thicker book. It's not, it got heavier. There's more stuff to carry around. It's not even the name of Jesus, awesome as it is. It's, it's the spirit of God. Look, that's what he's turning us towards. It's the fact that it's the spirit of God that we have to, it's the spirit of God. There are plenty of people that do crazy things in Jesus' name. There's nobody that does stupid things in God's spirit. You can't. It's not the way it works. That's why you have to stay in his spirit. And the way to stay in his spirit is to continue to turn yourself towards him. At the beginning of, you know, every time we do a retreat, like with students, they come this very first time they've ever been here before. I always start with this prayer. I always start like, take five seconds, you know, always do this and just turn the affection of your heart towards God. Because most people do not place the affection of their heart on God most of the time. And when you come to, not this church, because, you know, <laughs> not you, your, your friends, <laughs> other churches, you, you know, it just, 
It's an intentional thing that you actually have to do, right? You know what it's like to be busy, to be worn down, to be emotionally just a wreck, to be distracted, for life not to be going well. You know what it's like to step into worship or into prayer or into uh, you know, a gathering of you know, a, a, um, a fellowship, whatever it is, and then need to, need to, like you have to. Like I've done this actually sometimes um, when I was younger, just at the door, you know, just pause at the door for a moment and just like, just, just consciously take all that stuff and I was like, it's not that that doesn't exist anymore, but we're just going to take, we're just going to like, we're just going to like, like my piece that is still there, you know, after I, I come back. But just, 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 yeah, just, you know, I just need to, I just need to turn. And that's what Paul's talking about. He's talking about that, the fact that if you want to stay in the spirit of God, you have to train yourself to constantly turn yourself back to God. And if you don't turn yourself back to God, you're walking down your own road, and your own road is not his road. And, um, and it's, it's something that... The fact that Paul references Moses is obviously extraordinary, right? Because you remember, Moses minding his own business in the wilderness, and then there was a bush that was on fire. And we talked about this story before. And the Bible says that when he turned aside, and I love that, because that means is that if he, Moses would have just kept going with his own job, he would have never encountered the bush. It was when he turned aside that the encounter began. And it's the same way, but we don't just do this whenever we want to feel the tingly jinglies. Like we do this because if we don't do this, we fall out of alignment with God's spirit automatically all the time. There is nothing in us. What we have, the, the, the theological knowledge that we have is just as useless as, um, as, as what they have. The letter kills. It's all the same, but the spirit gives life. Have you not experienced people using the verses of this Bible to destroy one another. The letter kills, but the spirit gives life. And unless you're in his spirit, it doesn't matter what you know of God. It just doesn't matter what we've experienced with God. It doesn't matter what our values are. It doesn't matter what we think. It is irrelevant. What's relevant is whether we are in the same spirit that he's in. Because if we're not in the same spirit that he's in, he ain't calling down fire out of heaven, but you might. Do you know, you know that Elijah called fire out of heaven multiple times, Right? It just so happens the other times, that wasn't what God was doing. I wonder if the reason that times and seasons exist in your life, in my life, is because God wants to help us, just in the structure of our life, learn how to turn. Like, I wonder if that's, you know what binge watching is, right? It's this new phenomenon. It's like it's it's ten years old. It's uh, or eight years old or something. It's Netflix. It's as old as Netflix is. I never heard of it until Netflix came around. And binge watching is where you get set on something and you just can't stop. And you just you keep going, and then soon your whole weekend's gone. Actually, before binge watching existed, there was the NFL. I grew up. One of the the churches we went to growing up, the pastor would talk about how much he loved football, and he would no joke, watch like 10 or 12 hours of football like on Saturday. I was like, how does one do that? How, how, how? How does one do it? I, because football is like boring to me. So I don't understand. But they're so into it. I mean, they're so, and they have parties around it and they're just like, it, and, and all of life is being interrupted. I've been to watch, I've been to watch a few series. It's really bad. Because it just gets addictive. Joanne knows. K-dramas? <laughs> 
K dramas, yeah, okay, yeah, K dramas, yeah. Not me, I don't watch K dramas. <laughs> but but what happens is that you get engaged in something so much that you don't want to do the, all the things you know you're supposed to do, like eat dinner, <laughs> or, or brush your teeth, or go to sleep, or anything else. And before you know it, it's 3 a.m. You never stay up till 3 a.m., but it's 3 a.m., and you're still like, you know, and there's still seven more episodes to go, and you're like, I'm going to just catch a wink here. And then I was like, I'm going to keep my laptop open, so as soon as I wake up, I hit the space bar, and it starts all over again. <laughs> oh, yeah. It... Life doesn't work very well if you don't know how to turn from what you're doing and the spirit that you're of, but, but the spirit of binging. Life doesn't work very well if, you don't, if you've not taught yourself how to turn away from the thing that you're engaged in. And God has built a system, actually. Why is it that we have spring, summer, fall, and winter? Because every few months, the season turns, and then if you don't turn with it, you just like, where are you then? You know? If it's wintertime, you're still wearing shorts outside. I mean, it's just like, what, what, what do we have then? It, it, yeah, yeah. It, it, he's, he's created a world in which, it, in which it behooves you to learn how to turn. And turning, which is disengaging from what just your state, um, and choosing to to. to to believe, to go, to do, to think, to dwell in a different spirit is an essential skill that all Christians need to have. It's so easy to be obsessed with yourself. It's so easy to, it's so easy to think that you know, like it's just so easy to believe that you are God and God is you and God's always with you, you know everything there is now about God. It, like, it, it, it happens, it, it, it happens. I love hanging out it, it, it's really fun to hang out with people that don't hang out with anybody outside their ministry. Because it's so very clear. Like, it's not that you're a bad person, it's that you have no perspective. Because you believe that everything you do is correct. It's the best. It's not, not better. Because it's what you do. And, and the longer you stay in that place, the less likely it is that you're actually in God. And the less likely it is that you're in God, the less likely you are to catch God, whatever he's doing, whatever he's doing. Like, it, it's just, our job is not to defend what we do or who we are or what we like or, or what we believe. Our job is to stay in tune with what God is doing. And that's hard. It's, it's not easy. It takes, you have to intentionally choose. You have to intentionally, you have to intentionally choose to stay with it. It's one reason I admire Chayon so much. Over 30 years of ministry, he's never missed a major move of God. Every time there's a major move of God, he somehow found himself to be in the middle of it. The first week of Asbury, he, he went, you know. And um, actually, I think the reason Carolyn agreed to go was because she saw that Che went. Um, with, with me, I think it was because she saw that Che went. Um, that may not be the main reason, but I didn't know that Che went. But when I heard that Che went, I was like, this doesn't surprise me at all. All because that's the sort of guy he is. It's one thing I appreciate about him. Like it, it's, it's a sign of humility that that it, 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 you know, like <laughs> you have to live it out. It's, it's, but it's a great sign of humility for a significant leader with a lot of stuff on his calendar to say God is moving in this other part of the country. I don't know anybody there. They're not a part of my movement. I'm not related to them whatsoever. Nobody else knows I'm going. There's nobody. There's no chauffeur waiting. I'm not getting an honor. There's none of that. But I'm clearing my calendar. I'm going. I think we went with his assistant. 
I'm going, I'm just going to sit there and be a nobody in the midst of, because that's what God is doing right now. And even if God is also moving at my church, even if God is also with me, even if God also touches people when I pray for them, it doesn't change the fact that God is also there. And to be in the same spirit, I have to be able to turn myself away from my gifting, my ministry, my calling, my desires, my structure, my life, my invitations, all my stuff, and to be able to choose to step into what God is because it's, it's because you, you know the spirit. Does that make any sense? Um, there are few people as devoted as he is to always like just making sure that he's like in line with the spirit. I feel like that's why I, I, I just have a special appreciation for him. And, and there's a, he has a special ability to connect with business leaders, with political leaders, like with ministry leaders, with prophetic people, with the prayer people, with, with missions, and with all, like, all sorts of things. There's lots of people that gather around him I think it's because he's developed this ability. Well, I know that for a fact. But I think the reason is he's developed the ability to, to, to give honor to and to be inclusive of and to participate in the spirit of God, no matter what it looks like, no matter where it manifests. It's awesome. I, I, that was not my response when I first heard about what God was doing there. I was like, that's good, but that's different from what we're doing. Eh. I remember the moment I like I stood there. And I was like, I really, I was like, wow, God, I'm so glad you're doing that. Yeah. Like, 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 what is that? I'm sure it was just like, like, I think I actually made a noise of that. Sorry, yeah. <laughs> I was having a dialogue. No, I, I, I don't want to be one of those. Oh, I was talking to God, but it, it was kind of I was talking. I don't need to go. I mean, I told myself I don't need to go. There's no reason. I don't have any time. <laughs> and you know, and and. There was a conscious, I don't know why I'm telling you this actually, this is weird, okay, but there was a, there's, a, I'm telling you, I know what this is like. I know what it's like to not always be in God. I, I, I'm not sharing this because, I, like, I'm always in God, you guys, no, it, it's, it's a skill that you develop, it's, it's a habit that you, that you build up, it, it, it's, it's an attitude that you train yourself to have, to choose to believe that you are not God. That's hard. And that God is not always with you. You know, that's hard. I remember the time I, where I was like, it's not, I'm not going to receive anything. I'm going to give honor to, to because I believe this is a genuine move of God. And, and, like you, and, and that was a conscious choice. And then I told Esther, and Esther was like, that's a great idea. I'm like, oh, I was hoping you'd shoot me down. But you have to do that thing. You have to do things of that sort. Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. The fathers of this country, obviously, willing to give their lives for the sake of freedom. Freedom of what? Freedom to worship, freedom to live, freedom to not be dictated by somebody that you did not choose uh, to, to be governed by. But we as Christians, we often in this world like to trade. We prefer things other than freedom. Whereas there's nothing more valuable to you than your freedom. Most of the people in this city would rather have money than freedom. That's why people, there are plenty of people that make four, five, six, seven, eight million dollars. But they sit down on the desk, they're told to sit, uh, they wear the clothes they're told to wear, they show up to work when they're told to shit, that, you know, they have somebody else's logo on their chests, like, but because they make millions and millions of dollars, 
and they have a weekend off every other, <laughs> like, you know, like, that's enough. And when I think about, I don't understand why it's enough, but to them it's enough. I mean, I know plenty of finance types, because, well, you know. And you know the people in your industry, and maybe you know some of the in people in my industry. It's amusing to me. You know, they got their Ferragamo shoes because that's the dress code at Goldman and everywhere else. You wear loafers, they're Ferragamos. You don't wear anything else. And you got your tie and your shirt and your suit and you know, your stuff. And then you have a rental in the Hamptons that you pay $10,000 a month for that you use only on the weekends, only if you're not working. But you have that rental. And then you have the $3 million apartment in Chelsea. And you have the two cars. And you have the three kids in private school. And you could donate this and that. And then at the end of the day, you don't actually have that much money left. And you have absolutely no freedom because 80 hours a week, if somebody can, there's a phone that is specifically for someone to be able to call you every hour of the day, specifically, so that you are always reachable by them. And whenever somebody, whenever that phone rings, you have to pick it up because if you don't pick it up, you're scared that you may lose your job. And sure, you have front row seats at the Knicks, and sure, you know, people think you're something, something because you're a managing director, and, but you're not free. You're not free in any real sense of the word. You're not free if there's somebody who can, who's, you always have to answer to. If there's somebody that you're scared to disappoint. If there's someone who can make you go into the office on a Sunday, you're not free. If there's somebody that can drag you out of your prayer time, you're not free. Do you know? And life, the life that the world has to offer us, offers us everything other than freedom. It offers us riches and influence and the feeling of success without freedom. And the question is, is that enough for you? It's not what God has to offer us. What God has to offer us is freedom. It's the ability to actually choose, to actually make decisions, to not feel locked down, but to, do you know, like real freedom, the freedom to, to I don't wanna to give too many examples actually, but real freedom. There are a lot of people that, um, okay, let's be real for a second. Well, ah, we're all, all, actually always real all the time. There's no reason to stop and start. To, it was just, we should just always be real. All right, let's be real for a second. There are a lot of Christians that, ooh, let me see how to say this tactfully. I've been working on tact. I, I, I haven't quite mastered it yet. So, okay, I'll just go ahead in my normal way, and then you'll tell me if it's not tactful later. All right. There are a lot of people that believe that, oof, there are a lot of people that feel locked down to what they call their prophetic promises. Accepting those things as, as handcuffs on them because they think that they come from God. Prophecy doesn't lock you down. It's not meant to, to confine you and to, to, to shape your road. That's why, in my experience anyway, genuine prophecies are fulfilled typically in spite of you, not because of you. 
number one. And number two, the way that they are fulfilled is usually very, very often through a manner that you would not have chosen and that you could not have planned when you heard the prophecy being told. And I think the reason for that is if, if the goal of a prophecy was for God to just confine you to a certain road in life and to just put, like, you know, just... Then it would take away your freedom. And I, I really think there's something in me that, that I just believe it's not what he does and it's not what he's like. He wants you to walk down the right road, but he wants you to walk down that road completely freely. Not feeling like, well, God has called me into media, so I have to go into media. God has called me into missions, so I have to go to missions. It's not like that kind of a feeling at all. It's not like, oh, God has called me to be poor, so I gotta be poor. It's not, it's not that kind of feeling at all. It's, it's, it's a totally, totally, totally free choice. And as you walk down the road to fulfilling the promises that God has given you, you're completely free every step of the way. And the promises happen because that's what God is doing. He's not putting handcuffs on you that are like, these are okay handcuffs because they come from God. They're not, they're not handcuffs. It's, in fact, if I could suggest, it should give you freedom because you should take away the fear of not becoming or not making it. And if the promise is that you will make it, is that supposed to confine you? Or is that supposed to allow you to be more free? Do you know? Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. The more free you are, the more likely it is that you are in God's spirit. Don't miss that. Don't miss that. Don't just write it down and forget about it. If there's ever a time in your life where you are not free or you feel not free, you should really question if that's what God wants for you or not. And I'm talking about good things. There have been some people that have come to you know, some of our things and said, well, I'd love to be a member of your church, but there's just so many rules, things that you expect people to do and you can't do them. And be like, Great, membership is definitely not for you. Because if the things that we ask you to do, you feel like they're a cage around you, this is, this is not where you're supposed to be. If the things that you're asked to do are things that you would love to do, that you're happy to do, you're glad to do, you do it anyway. You just think that they're absolutely the right thing to do. You would not want to do anything else. Then... Do you understand? Like, like it, they're not, it's not meant to be a cage. If it's a cage, this is not the right place for you. And that, that, but that feeling, that, that, that knowledge, it needs to be, you, ha- you have to apply it to, every, to other areas of your life too. Do you know? Um, it's not likely that you're going to be effective in your workplace if, you're not, if you don't feel free there. And that's a spiritual feeling. But if you go to work and you feel like, I gotta sit in my chair and I gotta do the right thing and I gotta show up to the right meetings and I gotta, and you're, you're like, I'm gonna reach this office, you're not. You're not. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. You feel bound by the spiritual powers that be. How are you gonna be like, how are you gonna conquer the office? How? You have to be real with yourself. 
and you know, and we've talked about this over and over again. Like, don't worry about them paying you money because you know God will provide for you. Like, all you know, don't worry about your career. Like, you yeah, God, but like, you have to actually get to the place where you're like, you walk in the office and you're, if you're like, I'm the reason this, but you need to be totally fair. You don't care if you're fired. You don't care if you're laid off. You don't care if somebody's like, like, you don't care if people don't like you. Like, you maybe you do care if people don't like you because. Anyways, <laughs> but, but does that make any sense? Like, you have to, like, it, it's got to be something that's innate. When you get into a situation, you feel like, like that, that's not, that, that's not, God's not with you, very likely. Have you ever stepped into, like, um, have you ever gotten yourself into a situation where, like, you walk in a situation, all of a sudden you behave differently? Like, I see it happen very, like often with work and with like meetings. Like you know, like I, I, if I were to like work with a guy, right, and then we, our team is called in with a you know meeting with our manager. All of a sudden, he behaves differently. <laughs> you know, you know what I mean? Yeah, you guys. Yeah, I'm like, dude, what's just talk normal? Like, <laughs> why is your voice so high pitched? <laughs> like, just talk normal. Why are you using vocabulary words you don't normally use? It, it, it's it, like it, it's very easy to step into situations where you're immediately confined, but you don't necessarily even realize it. Well, I've been in situations where single people met somebody of the opposite gender, and all of a sudden, like, what are you doing? <laughs> we need to have a meeting right now. <laughs> what are you doing? Like, it, it, it's be because, no, no, what you're, hap what you're doing is you're stepping into something different than what you are, and you're stepping into it because of, of you're walking into circumstances. Does that make any sense? And, and maybe you feel like you need to perform. Maybe you feel like you care about how they think of you. Maybe you feel like, you know, you want them to think well of you. Maybe you want to show off who you are. Maybe, oh, who cares? Like, who knows? Maybe you want to seem more attracted to them. Like, I, I don't, but the fact is it happens, and whenever it happens, you're less free than you were before. Turn to God. Like, I don't care what this person thinks of me. Right before God. Not in a prideful way, but in a humble way. Just to turn to God. God gives us opportunities like this in life so that we can learn how to do this. Seriously and honestly. And, and, and it's important that you do it. And it's important that you learn that we all, like I, like I told you, I, I feel like, I mean, I feel like this is what I'm learning right now. It, it is not humility to believe that you are wrong when you are right. It is not humiliating to think you're wrong just because somebody disagrees with you. You need to know if you're with God or if you're not. Like, you have to. Like, it, 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 do you know? Like, Esther and I were talking about some things recently, and she was like, well, how do you know you're not wrong? Because you have to learn to tell God is with me, and he's not with me. And I've, I've seen... It's very easy to criticize. So I don't mean this as a criticism of other people, but like, I've watched um, like like Christian musicians, you, you know, like they're just doing a great set, and then all of a sudden, it, like song five or something like that, something shifts and it just becomes a performance. It, it, and it always befuddled me because I'm enjoying the set. I'm like I'm having a good time. So my you know I'm just like oh, and then all of a sudden something shifts and it's just like the spirit, same band, same music. Same, 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 the same lights, the same, 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 the spirit shifts. And I'm just like, this is, this is befuddling to me. We once invited a worship leader, his name will remain unnamed, but a lot of you know who I'm talking about. And his albums are awesome. 
I, they are so awesome. I play them. I mean, they are so, they're free. They're prophetic. They're like, you know, they're powerful. Like, and I think I even told Carolyn, why can't we sound like that? Like, you know, <laughs> they're awesome. They're so awesome. And I just got a great voice. And then came here to a conference, for, and it was, and I was like, oh. I can't believe I'm paying this man so much money. It was, and I was like, I, just read, I would like to get him off stage, but we signed a contract, and it just, I don't want to embarrass him. And it was absolutely terrible. And, and it's not because he's terrible. It's not because he's a terrible person. It's not, not at all. It's not because the musicians with him are terrible. They're not terrible at all. They're fairly well-known Christian musicians that play on recordings that we all listen to. Like, they're not, it's none of that. It's that we have to train ourselves to know what spirit we are of at all times. And that's hard. It, it's, it's hard. I, I, I honestly try to practice what I preach. Sometimes after I preach, I'm like, oh Lord, that joke, that, you, that wasn't you telling that joke. That was, I, should have, I shouldn't have told that joke. That was not you. And I can actually feel, um, if you do this sort of thing, you can feel it. If you spend time like, sharing people, those of you that mentor, which is a lot of you in this church, you could probably like, feel it. Sometimes you're talking to your mentee, and then like, all of a sudden, you're, like, you're flowing, and then all of a sudden, you're, you like, and it's because you... Your spirit entered into the picture. Your good advice, your opinions entered into the picture. And you used to be sharing the counsel of God. Now you're sharing the counsel of Bob. You know? Like, I do that all the time. It's a terrible thing. But it's completely natural unless... This is a skill. You have to train yourself and teach yourself how to do it well. Chris Allison has a story that I've shared with you before, but I really like it because I remember listening to when I was young. I was like, oh, that's so me. And it's just so important. There was one day he was in his office and somebody came into him and said, Chris, you're, uh, 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 they had a bunch of complaints about him and, and hurt his feelings, you know? And he still went to Danny Silk's office. Danny was a pastor at Bethel at the time and Chris was the prophet. And Danny was a pastor. And da- Danny's a very pastoral guy. And Danny and Chris, I don't know, they've been best friends for like 20 years, something like that. And so Chris goes into Danny's office. Danny has a sofa in his office. <laughs> And, um, and Chris just goes and he lays down in the office and he's like, Danny, you wouldn't believe it. Somebody told me it really hurt my feelings. You know, they said that I was abusive. They said that I was this and they said that I was that. And you wouldn't believe what they said to me. And now I feel so bad. Now I'm making me feel better. And, um, and uh, you know, this, that, kind of, this, that kind of thing. And, and, and Danny looks at him and he says, Chris, you're arrogant. <laughs> you're arrogant. You do not empower people. There's a reason people think that about you. And Chris sits up, he looks at his friend, and he's like, well, that's not a very nice thing to say. It's so just a shocked, shocked, shocked. He expected to be comforted, shocked. And then so he goes back to his own, and he's like thinking about it this whole day. He's like, oh, that's so terrible. And he goes home, right, and tells, he's talking to Kathy, his wife. He's like, Kathy, you wouldn't believe what happened to church today. I was not, had this terrible experience. I go to Danny, and Danny is like, you know, you're arrogant. You're this, and like, and I'm like, oh, like, well, what? <laughs> this is terrible. And Kathy's like, why don't you just pray about it? And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah I, I will pray. I will pray. I will pray about it, you know? I will pray about it. That's exactly what I'm going to do. So he's praying about it. That night he's you know, in bed and he's, he's in the God. I can't believe what Danny said. And I, you know, it's, it's, uh, blah, 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 blah. I'm not arrogant. I'm very empowering. I love people. I'm, just, I'm empowering people my whole life. I spend my whole life empowering people. That's all I do. That's the whole thing. And, then, and God didn't say anything. God's completely silent. And he's like, well, this is an awkward prayer time. <laughs> and a thought came into his mind. And he said, what if... I was prideful. And he said, Danny has been my friend for a very long time. Danny doesn't hate me. Danny's not trying to tear me down. Danny's not, you know, 
It's not, he's not like trying to, he's not trying to make me feel bad. It's just, but, but then he says, but I just can't see it. I don't see, I, I just, I just don't see it. Like I just don't, I just don't see it. I and mean, he's running over those memories, you know, of, of that, that he was thinking about with the person that complained. And he says, I just don't see it. I was doing the right thing. I was trying to help them. I was trying to like, you know, all this stuff. And, and then he says, just in his own mind, he says, okay, God, I'm going to choose to believe even though I can't see it. I don't feel it. I think it's completely fake. I'm being falsely accused. He said, but I'm going to choose to believe that Danny is right. And I am a prideful person. And God, I choose to repent. And he said, the moment he did that, boom, all of a sudden, it was like he was blind and now he could see. Every single one of those memories replayed back in his mind, but this time he could see where he was prideful. And this time he could see where he was abusive. And this time he could see where he was too hard on people. And this time he could see how he always pushed people down and didn't empower them. And he didn't want them competing with him. And there was all this other stuff. It was like this mess of, 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 of years worth of memories, of emotions, of, of, of revelation just all of a sudden became real to him. And he started to cry. <laughs> I'm a prideful person. And then so that... I remember hearing this when I was, I don't know, like, up, uh, like 23, 20, like a long time ago, right? It wasn't that long ago. It's like a decade ago. I remember hearing this story and I was like, oh, that is exactly, like, that is exactly right. If I don't choose to believe, sometimes you don't get to see. Sometimes you have to choose to be with his spirit before you can see. Sometimes you turn your heart to Jesus before the veil is taken away. And when you turn, then the veil is taken. But if you choose not to turn, the veil will not be taken. And he'll let you. God will leave you in a place where you believe that you're right your whole life. And you can go to the grave thinking that you're right. But you turn, and then you see. I say that because it's happened to me. It's not like, y'all, you better let... No, it's... If you've ever been married, which I know many of you have not, this will be common practice. Esther and I will argue. I, we actually, you know, you may not know that, but like sometimes we don't get along. It happens. It's not often, but it happens. Um, and I was just like, I have no idea what she's talking about. And, you know, and we'll just be away and I'll be like, God, this woman, what is she talking about? I'm always right. <laughs> and and it, it, there's, it, it, God usually not like, slap, 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 you're wrong. He's not usually like that. Like, at least with me. Very often, he just waits. And he's like, you want to know? Humble yourself. <laughs> I don't want to humble myself. I'm always right. Like, you know, like, no, you, you just humble yourself. And then you'll see. And we all, 18, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. How do you become transformed to become more like him? Return to him constantly. There's actually something active you can do, not passive, not like I'm gonna sit here and be transformed. Like a caterpillar, I'm gonna metamorphosis. No, the way you do it is that you actively turn yourself towards him. And as you turn yourself towards him, the veil is taken away so that you can behold him. And as you behold him, you can become like him. But you can only behold him if you're turning towards him. Do you know? For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. 
Therefore, having this ministry, by the mercy of God, Carolyn, you guys can um, get ready to come back up here. I'm almost done. But therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose hearts, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves of Christ Jesus as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Christ's sake. Just one last thing, and then we'll pray and we'll um, worship again and see what God does from there. I have to catch my flight. Thank you, Jesus. Well, and it's on time today. Glory to God. Um, what well, Paul's ending statement here, at least on this topic, is this, right? He says, we're being transformed by his spirit um, uh, continually, right? From one image to another, from one degree of glory to another, increasing degrees of glory, increasing degrees of similarity to God. And he's saying, we're being transformed um, in this way. And he says, but we have renounced. I, and I, I love this, right? Therefore, having the ministry, um, um, this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. Why would Paul lose heart? Because the ministry is not easy, because it's not always successful, because it doesn't always bear the fruit that is helping you bear. You're running into obstacles. It says, but, um, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. He says, okay, here's the conclusion that, that he's getting to. He says, when you find yourself in the spirit and when you realize that the most important thing you can do is to be in the spirit of God, then you're not aiming for any other goal. You're not aiming for success. You're not aiming for you know, a lot of people. You're not aiming for influence. You're not aiming for you know, people in the world to know. You're not aiming to be vice president you know, when you're 29. Like you're, you're not aiming for those things. You're, you're not aiming for those things. And because you're not aiming for those things, you can be free. Yeah, and what is, the what is the freedom that Paul is talking about? We have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. He says you can be free of using manipulative, controlling, worldly techniques to try to accomplish your ends. Why? Because you're not trying to accomplish those ends anymore. You're just trying to be in God's spirit. He says we refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. Why is it that you refuse to tamper with God's words? Why is it that you refuse to be clever or to do things that seem clever in other people's eyes? Because you don't care about those things anymore. And he says, and, and, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. The point is not to be loved, liked, agreed, popular by anyone. The point is in your own conscience and in the conscience of others that they cannot honestly accuse you of being anything other than sincere. And that's the aim. And that's the place that I would really love, just really encourage you to get to, like, with all of my heart. If your aim is money, then you're gonna be tempted to, to, to use cunning to get more money. And of course, when you do that, you step out of God. But if you choose to be in the spirit of God, what happens is that he gives you this great freedom so that you, do, it's not a temptation to cheat on your taxes or in your schoolwork. Or at work, it's not a temptation to take credit for things other people have done, you know? Because 
And you get to the place where you're able to achieve sincerity before God because your heart is free before him. And when you choose to turn yourself to the Lord constantly over and over again, it's not so much what you believe that will change. I, I, I think as much as it's just the amount of freedom you have in your heart to live out the person that you would like to be. So I want to encourage you to, to, to train yourself in this, to learn how to do it. And um, it's, it's a growing process you know, for all of us. But pay attention to these opportunities and let God really move through them. All right, why don't you stand? Let's pray together. I'll let the band take over. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for what you are doing in our lives and how you're changing us and helping us and transforming us. And, and we pray, God, that every area of blindness in our lives, every area, God, where we have chosen to allow a veil to be over us, because we would rather believe that we know what is good and right than to be in your spirit. Father, I just pray that you would take that out of our hearts right now. Father, we take the warning that Paul gave that the Jews, that many of them cannot see because they continue to put their confidence in what they read in Moses' word. And we don't want to be the same, Lord. We don't want to be the same. We do not want to be those that are constantly defending ourselves. Not realizing, Lord, that all the effort that we expend justifying who we are, what we believe, how we behave, our culture, our values, our ministry, our career, our life, that it separates us from you and it blinds us to what is true and what gives life. Help us to choose you today and every day. Help us to choose you, Lord. Father, we pray right now that you would send your Holy Spirit into this room. That you would move here in this place. That you would set us free. We declare freedom over you, each and every single person in this room over those that are streaming, those of us that are in Boston or going to Boston today. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. It's freedom from offense, bitterness, anger, judgment, jealousy, excuses, the need to perform, the need to be seen, the need to be recognized, the need to be celebrated, the need to be honored, the need to hold an office, the need to appear right before others. It's freedom, in Jesus' name.